Welcome back, everyone, to Sex and Couples Therapy with the Happy Ending Therapist. I'm Donna Harris-Richards, L-I-C-S-W-C-S-T. I'm a licensed independent clinical social worker and certified sex therapist and also couples therapist. And I'm here today with Vicki, my producer, and uh, we're going to talk about myth-busting in sex and couples therapy, 10 myths that create desire problems for couples. How are you, Vic? I'm doing. How are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> how, how are you doing in our uh, continuing uh, sort of COVID corona environment that seems to linger? And yeah, it's not going away anytime soon. I'm doing well, though. I've been getting outside still and enjoying that. And the weather has just been beautiful. So that's been great. Yeah, it sure has. It sure has. How's everything you, on your end? Uh, oh, oh, it's good. It's good. I'm imagining you in your in your hammock. Can I say that? <laughs> I love my on, hammock. <laughs> on air. <laughs> good, good, good. I know you do. I imagine you there when you're working. And that is just speaking of, you know, pleasure, play and passion, right? That's my motto. I think that's so awesome. Yeah. So well done. Well done. Um, I'm, You know, yeah, I'm doing good. I mean, I think I'm doing as well as I I can possibly be. I, I have been tulip watching, but of course the tulips are long gone. So now I'm rosebush watching <laughs> in our yard. And we have all these really cool string lights now I got on uh, online. So the whole, the whole yard is like, uh, it's ready for a party, but no one's invited. Just, <laughs> just me and the folks two. at home. <laughs> the party for two, right? Me and my husband. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the weather's gorgeous and I have no complaints. So good. Thanks for asking. So, um, yeah, so, so we should probably just kind of talk a little bit about these myths and help folks out there who might be listening and struggling with what's true, what's not true, all that stuff. Um, so we're going to actually do, uh, today will be the first part We'll cover five out of the 10 myths, and then uh, you guys can stay tuned for part two, which will cover the next five. There are so many. There are way more than 10, but we thought we'd just focus on on 10 for the moment. Well, five today. Um, so do you want me to go ahead, Vicki, and kind of talk about the first one? I have a question first. I wonder, there's so many myths out there, and like you just said, you only sent me 10 that we're going to go over for the for the next two podcasts where do all these myths come from that is an excellent question um well i think we could do a whole podcast just on that um (laughs) i mean you know we are living in 2020 but um you know we have been in existence for centuries as humans and you know, myths come from a variety of places. Um, mostly, I'm going to say it, the the long and short of it is that I think the myths develop um, based on guesses, um, being afraid to talk about sex, um, you know, stuff we just kind of make up. I mean, some of it is rooted in teachings, you know, as we're growing up through the church, dare I say, um, which... <laughs> can can often avoid, you know, when it comes to religion, you know, there can be, not in every religion, but, you know, there can be this fear about talking about sex. You know, how do we do that? Um, 
you know, there's, there's such trepidation. Um, and, and what I want to do is I want to help, I mean, not only couples, but families just sort of break down, uh, the myths so that they can be more open and kind of having more sex positive conversations with their kids. Um, so that people are much more aware and educated about sex, um, and things are again, more normalized, you know, what's normal, what's not just about everything is normal. Um, there's so little that's not normal. Again, if there's, you know, I'm going to send people off to the doctor if they're experiencing pain or things that don't fall within my realm of, of treating, uh, you know, the anxiety that goes along with, with our beliefs around sex, um, so th- those are the things that have sort of pathologies that are not in my uh, realm of, of treatment. Um, but, you know, getting back to what you're saying about where does it come from? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes from many places, but mostly it just comes out of fear and, and the fear of talking about sex because we just kind of don't know how to do it oftentimes. I mean, some folks do, and that's wonderful. Uh, but there's fear, you know, there's fear around... You know, how does a father talk to his daughter about sex, right? This is all sort of edible and scary. And <laughs> um, so I, so, I want to yeah. help people with that. Again, I think I've mentioned this. I know I talk about it on my website. You know, when when dads have closer relationships with their daughters through their sexual development from the time they get their periods to when they're dating and, you know, relationship issues, you know, the, the more they feel like they can come to their dads and their moms. Um, but moms sort of put themselves in the foreground naturally. I want to <laughs> I want to put dads more in the foreground, you know, back right. mom up a little bit and allow a daughter to kind of talk with her dad about it and have dad open up the conversation, because the more secure and comfortable she is in talking about it, the easier it is in her relationships later in life. Do you, do you see that with the son's? Of the family as well? Or do you think oh, it yes. just naturally comes easier for a boy yeah. to talk it with his mom and his dad? No. Mm-mm. Uh, well, I mean, I would say that I don't think it's easier necessarily to talk about sex with sons than daughters. I think that there's an assumption with parents and their and their sons that um, there's an assumption that, you know, oh, you're getting a, a, a health class in school or, you know, they're probably talking to their friends or uh, whatever, and it, it doesn't get addressed. I think it's more difficult with girls just because of the, the father-daughter mm. dynamic. Um, yeah. So I think it's equally difficult for parents to talk about sex with their kids. So I want to encourage them to do it, to just break down the fear around it and, and show them how, you know. Um, you know, you can have conversations with children in the room, um, believe it or not, around sexuality. Of course, it has to be age appropriate. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that they have conversations that aren't age appropriate. They can. Um, but it's important to, to begin to just sort of put it out there that, that children can come to their parents and ask them questions because you want to create that um, environment of safety around getting real information. Otherwise, what do kids do? I mean, they go off and try to find it where, the information wherever they can, and then we don't know where the, where, whether that's true or not. You know, the internet, their friends, wherever. So, Leading by example is key, sounds like. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Should we get into these myths? Sure. All right. Sure. So, you know, I hear lots of folks um, 
coming into therapy with the idea that sex should be organic, natural, and spontaneous. And what I say is um, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, that might be uh, surprising to some people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it sure is. It sure is. I mean, of course, in the beginning, it is, you know, sort of natural. You, you find your partner, you know. Um, whether it's a, a same-sex relationship or a heterosexual relationship, you find your partner. You're you, you're hot for this person, um, and and of course, you know the the urges come up and you feel the feeling and and all of that. Um, so in the beginning, yes, it it might feel that way, but the the trick and the slippery slope is over time as as we stay in relationship. You know, how do you keep that going? Um, and what I like to talk about with people is this idea that. You know, there is a lot of kind of planning in the beginning of a relationship, right? You meet somebody you like, um, and you're sort of planning, thinking about, you know, how can I see them? When can I see them? Um, you know, so you're, you're, there's a lot of planning that, that happens in the beginning that we want to recreate later. Um, and of course, there should be spontaneity. I mean, spontaneity spikes dopamine in the brain. So I want people to plan uh, sex and dates, but I also want things to be spontaneous for them too, because um, the planning creates more production of oxytocin, which is that bonding chemical we've talked about. Um, I think we've talked about, or we will be talking about. Um, and then the dopamine spike, which is the, the doing fun stuff that that just kind of happens uh, spontaneously. So, um, yeah, no sex. There's no, there's no, you know, as soon as we use the word should, we have to check ourselves, you know, um, and, and just again, open it up and think about, um, you know, what we want, you know, what, what feels good developing ourselves. Uh, again, I, I see lots of folks where, you know, they're not necessarily self-touching, so they, they just are not familiar with their bodies, you know, there are these myths around, um, you know, sex is dirty or good girls don't. I mean, I've even heard from some men that they have this idea that even though they're married and they have children, and of course we have to have sex to procreate, right? They, some men actually buy into the idea that sex is dirty. Again, coming from family of origin, um, you know, perhaps again, there's been some ideology around faith that, you know, presents itself to people and they buy into it. Um, so I, I want to break down all this idea that sex is dirty. You know, sex is healthy. It's part of, it's part of who we are as as human beings. You know, again, I think I've talked about this idea that training as a social worker, we do biopsychosocial assessments, and now as a sex therapist, I add the sexual assessment piece too. You know, I want to know if people are coming for sex therapy or if sex therapy is a part of the couples therapy. You know, I want to hear about a little bit of history and you know how people have developed over time with their own sexuality because desire is really, um, it starts with the individual. You know, we, we, we can't depend on our partner necessarily for the desire part. Um, if we feel the desire and we want it, we, we got to go for it. Um, and we got to plan it, you know, because again, you know, uh, life sort of piles up. You, you marry, you buy the house, you have the children, maybe you're taking care of older parents, you're the sandwich generation. And, you know, who's naturally thinking about sex? Lots of folks are not. Um, you know, lots of folks are, but then you have this desire discrepancy, we call it, where there's a higher desire partner, a lower desire partner. And I want to bring those levels of desire closer together. Um, and some of that is, is the planning, you know, not, not so much spontaneity. So no, it's not naturally organic, 
and spontaneous sex. And I wonder too, if that has something to do with as you progress in your relationship, you get more comfortable with the person and it's just, it all turns into, it's not just about that initial, this is a new person. This is a new feeling. This is a new, you know, experience that I'm having. And it, as Mm -hmm. it gets comfortable and the excitement in a way seems to die off a little bit people get worried that that means something's wrong when instead to me it sounds like you're saying it's more like a roller coaster like there will be times when it is super spontaneous and that's amazing and then there will be times when you have to schedule it and you know purposefully and mindfully make time for it Mm -hmm. absolutely yes you know what is novel can be highly erotic you know if it's that new person or that new idea. Yes, of course, that's a turn on. Yes. And, and exactly. So how do you, how do you continue to be turned on by your partner over time? Um, right. So that's actually, you know, the next myth here, right? Myth number two that, that we were kind of looking at together is this idea that scheduling sex is a bad idea and a desire killer, right? So this is also a myth. Um, scheduling sex is, is a good idea in actuality and not a desire killer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's be real clear about that. Uh, And again, it goes back to this idea that remember in the beginning when you're planning how you're going to see this person that you're excited about or hot for, um, there's there's a lot of thinking that's going into that. Um, And so, yeah, this idea about what is novel is erotic. And over time, our partners are no longer novel. You know, after... uh, Oh, I don't know, anywhere from six months to, say, two years. Um, You know, it mirrors this idea of parenting I like to kind of talk about with people. You know, you have a child, right? Um, And and, uh, the child becomes, it it feels like, and and for the baby, it's an extension of mother, right? Or it's an extension of of father. Um, And after a while... You know, the child begins to understand around age two, right? Year and a half, two, two and a half. Parents out there know about the terrible twos. Um, <laughs> there's this idea that the child begins to understand it's a different being and no, it understands it's no longer an extension of its parent, right? So there's uh, the child becomes, uh, it begins to become individuated. Um, it realizes it's its own person. And the same thing happens in relationship whereby, you know, in the beginning, he is an extension of me or she's an extension of me or (laughs) she's an extension of me as a woman or he's an extension of me as a man. Um, You know, and then after about, yeah, right in there, a year, year and a half, two years, year and a half, two years, we we realize, oh, this person is different and now they're starting to annoy me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) The things that were so darling and adorable, right, are just going up my you-know-what. Oh, maybe I don't like how they leave the cap off the toothpaste all the time. Maybe it's not endearing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 You, you know that, right? <laughs> so do I. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so we are, uh, so, so then it kind of gets to this idea about differentiation, right? Individuation or differentiation, starting to um, respect each other for our differences. And, you know, this is not easy. Um, and, the conflict is such a normal part of relationship. I really want people to understand this. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing, again, pathological going on. Most things are just the arc of what happens in a relationship uh, over time. So you get to that year and a half, two year 
spot in the relationship where it's like, okay, you know, it's the same. And how do we create this excitement? So um, what I talk about is that I think there's a quote by Esther Perel. She says something about how air is to fire what space between a couple is to desire. So what I mean, and I'm badly paraphrasing, sorry, Dr. <laughs> That's Perel. Okay. Um, but what, what she means and what that means is this idea that, you know, we, we go to work all week, right? We spend all this time apart. And, and if we keep spending time apart, then we drift too much. Uh, we have to come back together. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have to schedule dates. We have to schedule sex in order to reconnect. Um, and that, that, uh, so the space apart fans, the flames of desire. It's this idea that I'm wanting for, or longing for my partner. Um, and then coming back together and again, planning it is so important, whether it's a date or more, more to the point about sex that we're talking about here. Um, because if I don't plan it, then I forget it. I, I might forget about sex. You know, I want to talk a little bit also with the myths around arousal and, arousal states for men and women and um you know how long it takes for example for a a woman to go from you know initial desire to orgasm um uh we can talk about that when we talk about desire um but but this idea that planning it is important because then we have something to look forward to right so we have to take the space, we go to work, we do our thing, hopefully we're really developed as individuals, and we bring that, our interesting selves to the table, you know, again, point into this idea that we shouldn't be expecting um, too much uh, from our partners in terms of our happiness, we really have to provide that for ourselves. But then again, the planning, right, you know, the myth about scheduling sex is a bad idea, and desire killer, it's actually a desire builder, because then we have something to look forward to. You know, it's Monday and we're thinking about Friday or Saturday or Sunday with, with our honey. Um, and that that's exciting. That, again, puts positive neurons in our neuropathways. It kind of buoys us and floats us through the week with something to think about. You know, you get to hump day, right? Wednesday and you go, <laughs> oh, my God. Right. How much longer do I have to go? Yeah. And then if, when you think about that, right, it sort of lightens the load a bit. I think that's good, too, because... The same way, like you said, when you're at the beginning of a relationship and you're scheduling the next time you'll get to see that person and you're excited for it and you're looking forward to it. And, you know, if you're in communication with that person, you're talking about, oh, I can't wait till I get to see you next. It's the mm -hmm. same way that when you schedule sex with your partner, it gives you something throughout the week to kind of have a little bit of a cheeky exchange back and forth, you know, with your partner and kind mm -hmm. of like get ready for it and get excited for it and then get to actually enjoy it once it's there instead of looking at it like a chore, which it's not. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That ho Yeah, like I like you said, cheeky, flirty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Because then, yeah, you're building, you're building desire. There's this kind of anticipation. Um, yeah, and you can have fun with it. Again, you know, play with it, right? Pleasure, you know, play, passion. Have fun. That's the whole thing. That's the whole idea. That's awesome. Yeah, you get it, Vicky. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> hey, thanks. <laughs> you got it. Sure. So, yeah, then the third myth, shall, shall we go on? Sure, let's go on. Good. So the third myth is this idea that, um, and I hear this a lot, my, my partner should know instinctively what I want and when I want it. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's really nothing further from the truth. I mean, yeah, absolutely not. 
Um, and this is why I want to talk with people about knowing your own body, um, knowing what is uh, exciting to you, um, what turns you on. Because if you don't know that, your your partner likely doesn't know that. I mean, maybe they stumbled on something at one point where they were like, "Oh yeah, this is this is working." But <laughs> you know, if we're you know if we're depending on that, it's not a good idea. And I know it's very difficult for many women to talk about what what turns them on um, to say it out loud. I mean, there's again, there's so much embarrassment and you know, shame and fear around the topic of sexuality because right. we just don't talk about it. I mean, that's part of it, right? If you don't talk about it, it's like, you know, there, there's a lack again, uh, I hate to use the same word again, but a lack of development around the whole topic. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if you want to learn a beautiful piece of Mozart music, but you never talk about it, you never, you don't get the piano, you know, you don't buy the sheet music, you right. don't sit down at the piano, you don't practice, then like nothing happens, you know? So, um, so I, I want people to know their own bodies. I want them to know what turns them on, experiment with it, uh, talk about it with your partner, um, show your partner if you're too embarrassed to verbalize it. You know, take your partner's hand and guide your partner to, to what feels good. Um, I'm, I'm going to say something that might shock folks now, but I always say to women, you know, um, three things are necessary for a really happy life. Women should have a black lace bra, a power drill, and a vibrator. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I don't remember where I picked that up, Vicky, but that's really served me in my life along the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just true because, you know, it goes back to we've talked about it before, how communication is just so important. And it's uncomfortable for some people because they don't want to come off a certain way or anything like that. But when you're having sex with your partner, you want both people to be enjoying it. You know, so if if mm -hmm. you're enjoying it, then the other person will enjoy it. And, and you want to make sure that you're both coming together so that you both have a good time. And if one person's not communicating, I just don't see how that could happen. That's right. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so so that you're underscoring a really good point about pleasure and, and knowing what is pleasurable to you. So I work with folks around uh, some practices. I like to call them mindful pleasure practices, one of which is sensate focus and sensate being kind of short for sensation. So pleasuring your partner is great, but that's the thing that can tend to bring up anxiety for people focusing too much on the other um, mm -hmm. and on the other's pleasure. Um, performance anxiety. I think we've touched on this a little bit in other podcasts, blogs. Um, and so the performance anxiety is by, it comes out of focusing too much on how am I doing? Um, when really, if we can focus on what pleases us, that's, that's part of it. What are oh, you that's, thinking? That's awesome. No, I'm just, I'm just laughing. Sorry. She's laughing. <laughs> I see you laughing, Vicky. I'm wondering what you're laughing about. I'm just laughing. No, um, I think it's great. I just think. You have to be happy and to make your partner happy. You know what I mean? So if you're yes. not happy, then you can't mm -hmm. give your partner what they need. And it's just, 
I just love that we have these conversations and that we talk about these things for people to hear and listen to and relate to, you know, because I think people mm-hmm. need it. Mm-hmm. So there's an author, I might have talked about him before, named David Schnarch or Schnark. Um, and people can look this up online. He has a little piece online. Um, if you just Google uh, four points of balance, mm-hmm. um, you know, he talks about how marriage is like a crucible and we really get tested at very high temperatures. So so elements that get put into this very uh, this vessel that heats up liquids to become bronze. I mean, that's that's marriage, you know, mar- or relationship. It forces us to grow. You know, we don't grow because you know, our partner is telling us to grow. We grow because our relationship forces us to grow. And so if someone is not happy in terms of their sexuality or they're not feeling pleased, um, again, I really want them to to explore the things that turn them on sexually in life. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of metaphors. Um, but but so, so you can check out, you know, Schnark and the Four Points of Balance. But there's also, I wanted to make sure to mention this today, there's something out there called... OMG, yes. Oh my God, yes. Um, What's that? Which is well, it's um, it's it's a website all about the science of women's pleasure. Ooh. Yeah, it's like I think the first level is something like seventy nine or eighty nine dollars. Don't quote me. I don't get any kickbacks from it, so I'm not promoting it. I'm only talking about it because it's a really good. <laughs> this resource. is not an ad. <laughs> no, it is not an ad. Although maybe they want to be a sponsor someday. I don't know. <laughs> Reach out if you do. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And oh, it is so lovely. Um, and and OMG, yes, the science of women's pleasure is this beautifully done website talking all about all of these techniques for women. Um, Women have lots of nerve endings um, in their vulva region, um, a few more than men. Um, And so, you know, it's it's, uh, very complicated women's sexuality. So on OMGS, they talk about all kinds of techniques for women um, and their partners to, to know about. For example, something called edging, uh, which is kind of co- literally like coming to the edge and then backing up a little bit so that, you know, you don't have to necessarily have an orgasm immediately. And this leads to one of the other myths, actually, that we're going to talk about in the second one. <laughs> Remind me. Um, oh, well. So, so yeah, just sort of coming to the edge back off so that then the orgasm or the, the, the anticipation, the buildup is much more intense and you might have a much more explosively pleasurable experience. So that's one. I mean, there are other ones like hinting, um, pairing, you know, if people go on there, they'll see. And it is so, uh, it, it's a very sophisticated looking and very elegant looking website. So it's extremely tastefully done. And I think it appeals to women. I mean, you have women on there really just lovely women, different ages. And uh, so it's just a way of getting educated. If you really don't know where to start, what to do, this might be a place for some people to start. That's awesome. We'll also link that um, when we send this podcast out. I'll make sure that we link it so people can have a quick, easy access to it. Quick, easy. Quick Quick and easy. easy, Yeah, Yeah, omgyes.com, I think is what it is. Awesome. Yeah. So the next myth, it looks like, is if my desire declines, I must not love my partner. Yes, um, that is not true. <laughs> that is right. Uh, of course, you know, again, I, I mean, I suppose it could be true, but 
you know, highly doubtful. No. Um, so again, desire has a lot to do with um, ourselves. You know, how it's, it's the chi, it's how alive we are. Um, and again, everything is normal. I mean, some people, some women, uh, you know, some men, actually, let me break this myth down. Uh, you know, m- people think men are more sexual than women. Well, that's actually not true. We know, I mean, yeah, okay, men have testosterone, fine. But, you know, uh, 50% of the time in my practice, and pretty much nationally and internationally, 50% of the time men have lower desire, and 50% of the time women have lower desire. Interesting. So it's not a, a gender-related issue. Give it up for um, the ladies. Yeah, woot, <laughs> Uh, And this leads into a whole other conversation about, you know, we can talk about some time about how desire for women is oftentimes related to context, Mm -hmm. meaning what happens from the minute we get up until the moment we go to bed. Uh, You know, this is why it's important to talk about division of labor with couples. Um, If if a woman's partner, whether it's, you know, her husband or her wife is is not participating or contributing to the labor in the home, I say, Get in there and lighten her load and, you know, you'll probably have more sex because she'll have more energy. She'll have uh, less tension and anxiety and all that stuff. Justin agrees. Justin says, ladies, represent. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah, we got Justin and Paul in the background. That's right, guys. Feel free to chime in. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, no, I mean, desire declines over time. Again, it, it sort of harkens back, Vicky, to this idea that we talked about before where, you know, what is novel is erotic quite often. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, over time, you're with your partner day in and day out. Your desire is bound to decline to some degree for your partner because it's no longer new. But creating that newness is so important. You know, don't always go to the same place on vacation. You know, don't always go to the same restaurant to eat. Don't always, you know, I don't know, play the same card game at home. I'm making it up. I mean, you know, uh, right? Spice it up. Make it different so that you get that dopamine spike. Um, You know, do things your partner wants to do. Do things you want to do so that you have that win-win thing going on that we might have talked about. Um, You know, compromise doesn't work. Have we talked about the win-win? We have talked about the win-win, the the red house, yellow house. Exactly, right. So one partner wants red, one wants yellow. Compromise is painting it orange and nobody gets what they want. (laughs) Right. So so you got to give to get. Um, And you also have to give to yourself, take care of yourself. You know, we've talked about how important self-care is and and all that stuff. There's a lot of moving parts. Um, But mostly, you know, having pleasure for yourself and scheduling it with your partner. You want to be thinking about the relationship. You want to be thinking about relationship health um, and and sexual health and all of that stuff that we don't normally think about. So I love getting out there and helping people think about it. I think that's great. And I think it's great, too, to let people know that, you know, if your desire dips and say you're having a really stressful time at work, it might not be so surprising that your desires dipped if you're stressed to the max about work or the kids or, you know, whatever else is going on in your life. Because it's, I feel like sometimes, at least with, with my friends that I know, um, sometimes they feel that sex with their partner might be exclusive to whatever else is happening in their life. And that's just not, it's not like it's in its own bubble, like everything is connected. And I think that's really Mm -hmm. important. 
Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's right. It's not it's not compartmentalized. It's not <clears throat> yeah, it's not these separate sections. That's right. Yeah, it's sort of there's a whole system going on. You know, there's a whole s- system within an individual and then there's a system within two people in a couple. There's a system within a family. Um, no man is an island. And, and yeah, all of those stresses kind of, yeah, they just layer all that pressure on them. Before you know it, the last thing on one's mind is is sex. I mean, it just takes a back seat. Um, and interestingly, if we schedule sex, this is the thing that I really like. Or, or we're, you know, and again, you don't have to schedule it so rigidly. I mean, okay, if you said let's do it Saturday morning at, you know, 1030 and you don't get to it. Well, you know, that's okay. There's no, <laughs> you know, sex scheduling police coming to handcuff you. Not going to happen. <laughs> exactly. But if we keep it in mind, that's really the most important thing. I don't want to turn people off by making them think they have to be in some rigid, uh, you know, structured routine about this. It's just the idea of keeping it in mind. That's so important. I mean, if you can actually put it on the schedule, great. And if you want to be more loose about it, that's fine. But Never thinking about it is the problem. If we don't, if we are not scheduling it slash thinking about it, then it really is um, last on the list. Right. And for the last myth, we didn't go over this one yet, did we? Desire just happens. No, it, it's kind of related to myth number four, um, and desire does not just happen. And again, uh, it harkens back to this idea that women, for the most part, um, maybe more than men, um, their desire gets dampened because they are, you know, you have couples where both people are working nowadays more than ever. Um, you know, women's bodies change after they have children, Um And so, yeah, we have to not count on the fact that desire, again, is a natural and spontaneous thing. Um, It it doesn't happen naturally and spontaneously. So if we are making ourselves think about it, it's more likely to happen. Um, Folks out there can try the following. Uh, They can begin to have sex with themselves, which I highly recommend, and or their partners, um, and see if they start thinking about it more. Right. So so the more turned on you get, again, this idea that, you know, the clitoris is not a light switch. You know, we don't turn it on and off. (laughs) I knew you'd like that, Vicky. It's you know, it's it's a thing where it's like, uh, you know, again, if we if we are um, engaging in it, sex, um, self-touch, et cetera, sex with your partner, then the more we engage in it, the more we want it. So I wonder if, I wonder if there are other ways are, I'll just ask you, are there other ways besides just, you know, having sex more or having sex with yourself or your partner that you can kind of bump yourself back into being in the mood? Other than having sex with yourself or your partner? Mm-hmm. Well, sure. Um, I mean, engaging in sex is a, is a good thing. But sure, I mean, you. I suppose you can fantasize about what you find erotic. Um, you know, some women experience uh, spontaneous 
desire. Some women experience uh, responsive desire. This is mm. an Emily Nagoski, Come As You Are idea. She wrote that book, Come As You Are. We love um, her. <laughs> yeah, right? She's great. What a beautiful writer she is. Um, and especially, you know, for women who've had trauma, sexual trauma, she writes a beautiful chapter on sexual trauma in her book about how trauma can wrap tendrils around us and kind of keep us tense, uh, keep us sort of anxious and hypervigilant um, when it comes to sex, understandably. That's a very normal response. Um, but yeah, I want to encourage people to sort of talk about the things that, that turn them on, that put them more in the mood. Um, that may not just be sex, but but thinking about it, that you know, for again, for women, remember it's contextual, right? It's it's setting the mood from the minute they get up. Maybe they want their partner to bring them coffee in bed, maybe they want a back rub in the evening. All of that again, you know, so so lowering tension, taking the load off of of a person, um, it really can can help desire happen more. But but we do also just kind of have to think about what's erotic and all of that in order to feel eroticized, if you will. Does that make sense? It does. Cool. It does. Makes a lot of sense. So, um, yeah. So there's a, there's our five myths. Um, hopefully for part folks... one. Woohoo. Yeah. Are we done? <laughs> no, I said for part one. Oh, for part one. <laughs> right. So hopefully folks will tune in and find it interesting enough to tune in for part two, where we'll be talking about five more myths. And again, there are way more than 10. I have at least 20 lined up, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll just focus on 10. Uh, All righty. Well, um, thank you so much for listening again, right, to... Sex and Couples Therapy with a Happy Ending Therapist. Again, I'm Donna Harris-Richards, LICSW Certified Sex Therapist, here with Vicki, my producer, and Paul and Justin in the back. Hey, guys. Shout out. <laughs> Remember, you can find me on Facebook at the Sex and Couples Therapist. On Instagram, find me at the Happy Ending Therapist. Please feel free to reach out and call my office if you're looking for sex and couples therapy. My number is 508 990 9909. The website is sexandcouplestherapy.com. And remember, please always try to make time for pleasure, play, and passion. See you next time. <laughs>